Now please take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, our passage today will be on page 855. This morning I will read verses 26 through 38. There is a rule. If there are still Christmas trees on stage, we can have a Christmassy sermon. So today, I want us to look actually prior to the birth of Jesus, the birth announcement. There are two birth announcements in Luke chapter 1. There's an announcement about Jesus, and there's the announcement about the one who will be his cousin, the one who will prepare the way for him, the birth of John the Baptist. We will consider the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary about the birth of Jesus The angel Gabriel has been sent from the presence of God to declare the mission of these two boys, John the Baptist and Jesus. He's to announce their purpose before they are conceived in the womb of their mothers. Before we read God's word, let us go to him in prayer once again this morning and ask for his help. Would you join me in prayer? Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we look to you today for our help. We look to the hills from where does our help come? Our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth, our great God and Savior. So I pray for my brothers and sisters who have gathered here this morning that you would be pleased to feed us on your word that Those who come with burdens, pains, and hurts, those who come in need of gospel relief, that they would encounter the risen Lord through the preaching of your word, and that eternal seeds would be planted in our hearts that would bear fruit in faith and Christlikeness. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed for her. Amen. That ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Imagine how those words hit Mary's teenage ears. She's engaged. She was heading towards starting a family with her fiancé, Joseph, and now this. It's an understatement to say that the entire course of what she had planned for her life and family has been changed by Gabriel's announcement. The angelic messenger brings a divine declaration of the person and the work of the son she will bear. And what might not altogether make sense to her in the moment will become evident throughout the course of her son's life and ministry. Mary needs to pay attention. As a parent, she will want to steer her son's life. Parents, you know that. Kids, you've felt that. Parents have dreams and aspirations for their kids. And Mary will want to shape her son after her desires. But she will need to submit her dreams and desires for her son to the purpose for which his heavenly father has sent him. We need to pay attention to Gabriel's announcement. We need to pay attention too because there's a temptation for us to want to shape Jesus in our liking. You may have seen this. You may have done this. It typically begins with, I like to picture Jesus as, or I think of Jesus as. And without further illustrating it, it's just like Moses' brother Aaron, who forms the golden calf and says, look, it's Yahweh. We too can form our own Lord and call it Jesus. So if we are to worship and follow the real Jesus, we need to pay attention to what God's word reveals about his person, and his work. Gabriel told Mary, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary replies simply with how? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. The child to be born will be called holy. Gabriel, what he's telling Mary among his description of the child she will bear, he's saying if you're to understand this son, you need to know that holiness will define your son. Holiness is essential to understanding who Jesus is and what he came to to accomplish. And so this morning I wanted to take a little time and think about what does it matter that Jesus was called holy from birth? And of course we'll only be able to scratch the surface of it today, but I want you to consider three things with me. The first thing is that Jesus was holy before his birth. Then Jesus was holy at birth. And then finally Jesus was born to be holy. 
Jesus was holy before his birth. To get a grip on this holy infant, we, we must begin before the world began, before time itself began. Gabriel makes it clear to Mary that she will carry the Son of God in her womb, the Son of the Most High. Here he is pointing to this child's deity, that this will be the one in which the eternal person of the Son, divine nature, will take on a human nature and become the God-man. And deity carries with it pre-existence. So here in, in Matthew and Mark, it is implied that the son existed prior to Mary's virginal conceiving of him. But what is the implication of his deity in Luke's gospel here by Gabriel's announcement is made certain by other passages, especially in John's gospel. There in the prologue of John's gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then later in John's gospel, in the, the 17th chapter, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, in verse 5, do you remember where Jesus prayed this? Where he prayed, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The baby that Mary would conceive is the only person who could ever pray such a prayer. God knew who you and I would be before the foundation of the world but we were not there. We were not there with the Father before the world existed, but Jesus was. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, before the world existed, before angels were created, there was the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And the fact that Jesus is from eternity must be considered when we think about our definition of the word holy and what does it mean that he will be called holy. If you were to ask someone on the street, what does it mean to be holy? They might think of something like a, a monk or a nun. They might say someone who doesn't do bad things, however they might define bad things. If you were to ask a Christian, what does it mean to be holy? They might say something along the lines of living pure and not sinning. A common and good definition, a scriptural definition of holiness is to be separate from sin. God is separated from sin and so Christians are to separate themselves from sin. Or another way to get at holiness is to say holiness is to love what is good and to hate what is evil. It means loving what is righteous and hating what is against God's law. But that is not altogether getting at the root of holiness, separateness, loving good, hating evil. That's our definition of holiness in light of Satan and man's rebellion. We must remind ourselves that holiness 
is an attribute of God. It means that God was holy before there was sin, before there was evil. God is intrinsically holy. He's holy in his nature. Before the world or anything existed, God was holy. And therefore, Sinclair Ferguson is helpful on this where he says it's not first and foremost separation at the root of holiness, but devotion. It is the devotion of the Father to the Son. The devotion of the Father to the Spirit. The devotion of the Son to the Father. The devotion of the Son to the Spirit. The devotion of the Spirit to the Father and the devotion of the Spirit to the Son. And Sinclair Ferguson writes, the holiness of God is the perfect, pure devotion of each of these three persons to the other two. It is absolute, permanent, exclusive, pure, irreversible, fully expressed devotion. He goes on to explain, it is not something mechanical or formal or legal or even performance-based. It is personal. In a sense, holiness is a way of describing love. To say that God is love and to say that God is holy ultimately is to point to the same reality. Holiness is the intensity of the love that flows within the very being of God among and between each of the three persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the sheer intensity of that devotion that causes angels to veil their faces. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lock eyes with one another and do so eternally. We, however, cannot bear that intensity. We can only see the face of God in a way that is accommodated to our creaturely capacity in the man, Christ Jesus, end quote. In Luke 1.35, Gabriel is announcing that the holiness of the triune God in this baby will invade the creation. This child born of Mary will manifest God's holiness in his person. And this son, he will come and he will rescue those who have rebelled against God's holiness. We need to take a moment and reflect if the root of holiness is the personal devotion of the Trinity to the Trinity, that means for us today, holiness is a great cure for loneliness, which is somewhat counterintuitive. If you've been around church or grew up in church, you may have wrongly or mistakenly, like I did as a child in the church, mistake holiness for loneliness. Think about it, students. The pursuit of holiness and walking in holiness, it's so defined as missing out on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and any other night. And to be certain, holiness does mean abandoning friendship with the world but be reminded that the narrow path brings us into the fellowship and the devotion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And once again, the Apostle John is helpful where he says that, look, dear believers, in 1 John, 
verse 3. That which we've seen, the Holy One, we've heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. This child to be born to Mary will reveal the holiness of God so that we might know the fellowship of the triune God. Which brings us to the next thing from Gabriel's announcement. This child is to be called holy at birth. We are not holy at birth. There has never been a child born holy except for Jesus. As David puts it in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Adam created innocent and holy, but did not stay that way, forfeited his holiness by disobeying God's command. Because of Adam's sin, each of us, all mankind, descending from him, sinned in him, falling with him in his sin. We were brought into a state of sin and misery. We lost communion with God. We were under His wrath and curse and liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself and the pains of hell forever. We are born unholy. We are born sinners. It's not a popular idea that the Bible teaches total depravity and original sin. It's not a popular thing to say that all infants are born condemned in Adam and will remain that way apart from God's saving grace. That may make you uncomfortable, but let me just remind you that no one had to teach you how to sin. Parents, you know this very well. My kids are young, so I still feel like I'm in the new parent phase, six years in. But I'll never forget when my daughter was less than one years old, we were feeding her some vegetables. You know, the kind you steam, and you don't add salt or butter, and you just mush them up, and you think your child will like them. Were those kind of vegetables. And she reached for some with her hand. She held them in her hand and passed it by her mouth and said, mm-hmm, and then slipped it underneath the high chair and threw it on the floor. <laughs> no one had to teach her how to sin. A couple nights ago on Christmas Eve, we were singing Once in Royal David City. Do you all remember this? And there's the line, Christian children all should be mild, obedient, good as he. And there was laughter, at least from a part of the congregation. We are born sinners, descendants in, of Adam. But Jesus did not come into the world through Adam's line. That's why he'll be called holy. And Mary said, how? We say how. After all, she was a virgin. Verse 35, look back there with me. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit and Mary did not have intimate relations that are involved in 
procreation, there's a miracle that's happened. Something different is happening here. And the language that Gabriel gives in his announcement on how this miracle will take place, it's biblical language. The language of the Holy Spirit will come upon you is much like that of overshadow you. And it's a callback to the Holy Spirit's activity at creation. In Genesis 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what is going to happen in Mary's womb is God is going to take her real human cells and by miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, by the hovering, the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, He's going to start a new creation, a new Adam in this baby boy. And that's why He will be holy. Jesus was there at the first creation. And at his incarnation, it is the dawning of a new creation. He is not of the old Adam, but the eternal Son of God is the second Adam. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Holiness is essential to Christ's identity and for all those who are in him, who are now part of the new creation, because of your union with Christ, holiness is now essential to your identity. It is something to be pursued, but holiness is not something to be chosen, dear believer. If you're in Christ, you're united to the Holy One. And you were part of the new creation. And so we leave behind the things of the old Adam as we're being renewed and conformed to the image of the new. We pursue conformity to the one who is the dawning of the new creation. How does Christ bring sinners into the new creation? Well, that takes us beyond his birth. So finally this morning, I want us to think about Jesus was born to be holy. He was born to be holy and to give his life as a sinless sacrifice. This is the burden of his holiness. He was a child born to die. Under the Old Covenant, God gave His people instructions on how to offer sacrifice for their sin. They had to follow the instructions for their offerings to be considered clean and holy and set apart for God, devoted to Him. And as best they could tell, they were to choose for those sacrifices animals that were perfect. It couldn't be deformed. It couldn't be the runt of the litter. If it was to be devoted to God, it had to be the best. And as redemptive history unfolds, we learn that blood of animals, the blood of bulls and goats, could not pay for our sins. But they're appointing us to the perfect, blameless Son of God who would give His body and blood as payment for the sins of His people. The Holy One, exchanging Himself for those who are unholy. 
It would not be enough for him to be a holy infant, to be the sacrifice that you and I need. He had to be a holy toddler, a holy 10-year-old, a holy teenager, a holy 20-something, a holy 30-something. He must embody perfect holiness as a child and as an adult. And when he was in his 30s, around the age when priests normally begin their service in the temple, our great high priest gave up his life as a ransom for sinners. This is the gift of his holiness. This is why Christmas time is special. We're reminded that the Holy One, the One who was Lord at His birth, came and died in our place for our sins. Treated as the vilest of sinners on the cross, the burden of Jesus' holiness becomes a gift to all who trust in Him for salvation. As the mediator, this baby born of Mary reveals the holiness of God to us. In his cross, we see what God's holiness required for our salvation. And in his life, we see what holiness looks like in a fallen world. The incarnation puts God's holiness on display in the person and in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us ask for his blessing on the preaching of his word. Would you pray with me again? Our Heavenly Father, what a gift that you would send your son to die for our unholy sinners, that he would become our wisdom, our sanctification, our righteousness, that we would be set apart in him, devoted to you, that you would call us out of darkness and give us to your Son. Lord, help us to live in light of the great truth of our redemption, that you would increase our appetite and desire to share in the holiness that you share with the Son and the Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.